Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this awesome day. Thank you, Lord, that as we gather, we can just, Father, just focus on you. Lord, let the word be alive in our hearts this morning as we come together. Lord, I praise you for all that you are doing. Lord, I give you thanks, Father, for the many wonderful things that we can share about and just honor you in. So, Heavenly Lord, I praise you, I honor you, I give you glory for all that you are doing. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good? Awesome. All right. Well, last week we started on our, uh, on our journey over a two-month period looking at the feasts of the Lord, as we know, in Leviticus 23. So if you want to get your finger there, find that in your Bible. We're also going to be looking in Exodus 12, so you've got more than one finger, so stick a finger in each section. Praise the Lord. So today we're going to start looking at each, each feast. As you know, there's seven feasts, and we're going to start looking at each feast in detail, starting from the first one. And in doing so, we're going to be looking at events that led up to the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. We're going to also look at the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples in the upper room. And we're going to look at how these events were shadows. They foreshadowed things that reach across time and into our current day and into our, into our lives here today. Um, if you can just build a picture in your mind, the, the, the backdrop is the pyramids of Egypt, okay? Uh, we have the main characters who are a group of people who have been enslaved for 400 years. The author of the story, the person putting it all together is, is God himself who made a, a promise to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He made a promise that one day they would inherit their own land and that they would be set aside as his chosen nation. The hero in this story is a lamb. This lamb gave its life so that others could live. And so putting it all together, the stage is set. That stage is set. The time had come. You know that in God's plans, there is always a time for it to come. There is a time for it to happen. And in the story of Exodus, we know that everything worked to that point. And the time had come for it to come to pass. The events we read about in the Passover in, in Exodus set the Israelite nation free from bondage. But it actually pointed to an event a thousand odd years later that would actually tear down the barrier between man and God. It would usher in a new age and a new covenant of grace. And it points to us, every single one of us. And it presents a challenge. Not a challenge for your next door neighbor, not a challenge for the person sitting next to you, not a challenge for your parents or your kids, but a challenge for you, every human being to accept 
and apply the significance of Passover to our own lives. And so if you've got your finger there in Leviticus 23.5, let's begin as God outlines the first of the seven feasts, which is the feast of Passover. Leviticus 23.4 actually says, The Lord established feasts and festivals, the holy occasions to be observed at the proper time each year. Verse 5, First comes the Lord's Passover, which begins at twilight on its appointed day in early spring. So it's not just a random day. It's not just, guys, when you think of it, um, start, you know, have this feast. It's not, you know, whenever you feel like it, have this feast. It was actually an appointed time. And it was the 14th day of the first month. For us, it was around, it's around March, April. The Hebrew calendar says it's the month of Nisan. Okay? Not the car model, not the pulsars. All right? The month of Nisan. In the Middle East, this is the spring, feast, uh, the spring season. And understanding Passover gives us a foundation for the rest of the feasts. And so it's good that we look at this in depth here this morning. In fact, without Passover, without the Israelites celebrating and performing Passover that day, everything else would not have come to pass. The other six feasts would not find their fulfillment. And that has significance for us because as we see the the correlation between the Passover lamb and Jesus Christ, we, we know that our faith in Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything else in our life. The, the Passover led the Israelites out of Egypt and into everything that God had promised them. And our faith in Jesus Christ leads us out of our bondage and into everything that God has promised for us. And so it all starts with faith in the Passover lamb. We find its significance not in the historical account of what happened that day, but also in the prophetic meaning for us at this day. Think of it this way. It was the death of all the firstborns that finally broke Pharaoh's resolve and ended 400 years of slavery for the Israelite nation. And it set them free. Everything else came as a result of that freedom. Just think about that. And for us, it's the death of Jesus Christ that finally brought about the enslavement of people under the curse of Adam and set us free. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? For freedom that Christ has set us free. And it's for freedom. In that freedom... Everything else that God promises for us in the Bible comes true. It flows from the cross. And in reality, there's only ever been one Passover. That occurred approximately three and a half thousand years ago. And we're going to read about it in a moment. We're familiar with this story of how Israel, under the, the, the cruel enslavement of pharaoh 
cried out to God and God finally answered them through a man named Moses. You heard of Moses? Yeah? Moses returned to his homeland after 40 years out in the wilderness, out in the desert. And in Exodus 12, 2, we'll read about the account of Passover. And it says this, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for, for his family, one for each household. Okay, just make a mental note of that. Take a lamb, one for each household. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take them... Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their homes where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Verse 11. And this is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Okay, hence the term Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day for you to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Quite a comprehensive set of instructions. That the Israelites were to take each one for themselves, and they were to do it. You see, the thing is, and, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later, in that you know, when, when God gives instruction, it's not like he's saying, well, you know, you can do it or not do it. Obedience, and if we trust in God, obedience actually means that we trust that what he tells us to do is for our own best interest. And so here he's saying, guys, this is not an option. If you want to live, you've got to do this. Because once I set the angel of death on his course, there ain't no turning back. And we might think, gee, God, that's a bit harsh. Well, not really. Because he's given us the option. He's given us the option. He's given us a choice. Of saying, yes, I will apply this to my life. Yes, I will follow, Lord, what you have set in place. You see, the events that we just read about here in Exodus 12 clearly depict Israel's redemption from slavery, which ultimately led to the fulfillment of the promise of an inheritance which God had given their ancestor Abraham 400 years before. 
And so each element of that Passover meal had significance for us today. It's not only the symbolic elements of the feast that cause us to look back and remember what the Lord did in the past. They also foreshadow a greater redemption through Jesus, the Passover lamb. And you see Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, make that link between Jesus, our Messiah, and the lamb that was sacrificed at every Passover meal, where he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So there's no ambiguity, is there? There's no doubt that Jesus Christ is fulfillment of the Passover lamb. So everything that was required of the Passover lamb, we find fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's many words we can use to, to just describe the significance of the Passover. But there's one word that stands out, and that is redemption. Say it for, with me, redemption. Say to yourself, I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You see, the Passover involved the sacrifice of an animal, the spilling of blood. Can you imagine the amount of blood that was shed on that night in Egypt? I don't know how many households there were, but if there was you know, a couple of million people that walked out of Egypt, I would dare say there was probably two or three hundred thousand households. So two or three hundred thousand sheep slaughtered that night. Now we might think to ourselves, oh, that's cruel or that's gruesome. Or... But we've got to understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no other way. Why? Because blood is the life source. The Bible tells us that. To redeem something is to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. A payment has to be made in order to redeem something. My friends, the events of this were real. The miracles were genuine. And they all came about. Each one of those plagues that were set upon Israel, uh, upon Egypt, which, which culminated in the Passover, that final plague, was all to show that the God of the Hebrews was far superior than any other God in Egypt or the rest of the world. You see, this motley crew of slaves, they knew nothing different. But they were redeemed so they could serve the one true living God. Yet such a privilege came with cost, the blood of the Lamb. So while the Passover feast in Egypt was for the redemption of the Israelite nation, the feast of Passover, as we are looking at today, detailed in Leviticus 23, was pointing to something far greater. 
You see, all the lambs that were sacrificed, all the blood that was spilt that evening, pointed to an event 1,200 years later on a cross on Golgotha where the Lamb of God was sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. There's a little table here that shows how Jesus fulfilled everything that was required of the Passover lamb. And we can see there, first of all, that the Passover lamb was chosen and set apart five days before it was sacrificed. Remember, Exodus 12 said, On the tenth day, choose for yourself a lamb. We see that in Exodus 12.3. Do you know that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey five days before he was crucified? John 12.1 and verse 12 tells us this. You know the story when Jesus rode into Jerusalem? That was five days before his crucifixion. It tells us in Exodus 12.5 that the lamb had to be male without defect, one year old, innocent, and in the prime of its life. We know Jesus was sinless. He was without defect, innocent. And at the age of 33, he was in the prime of his life. Exodus 12.46 says that no bones were to be broken. So in the sacrifice, in the cooking, in the eating of that lamb, you weren't not allowed to break the bones. As we see in Psalm 34.20 and John 19, the usual practice of the Roman soldiers for those that were on the cross to make them die quicker was to get a club and to break their legs so that they, the weight of their body would actually, they couldn't support themselves anymore. But God being God ensured that his Passover lamb did not have a broken body. Because when they came to him to break Jesus' legs, they found that he was already dead. We can read about that in John 19. Coincidence? Good luck, good fortune? I don't think so. I don't think so. It is all in God's plan. As we know, traditionally, the Passover lamb was sacrificed at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And reading in Matthew 27, 46, we see that Jesus died at that very hour. Can there be any doubt in our minds that Jesus fulfilled everything required of the Passover lamb? Now, over the years, as the Passover feast was celebrated in the nation, we see also that um, a lot of additional traditional things were added to it. We see that when Jesus came to eat his, the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room, we see that there were many traditions added to that meal. And while we're not going to go through all of them, I do want to look at one involving 
the cups that were shared during that meal. Now, when we're talking about the cups, the origins of this is a bit of a mystery. But it was an official part of the Passover meal by the time Jesus ate it with his apostles in the upper room. And in reality, there was only one cup, but it was filled four times. And it had to be filled with red wine. Okay? Can you guess why it had to be filled with red wine? Red being the color of blood. Okay, that's pretty simple. And each time it was drunk, it was a reminder of God's faithfulness to his promises in regards to the exodus of Egypt. Now, we also need to understand that there is often a principle called double fulfillment in regards to prophecy in, in the Old Testament, in the Bible. We see that prophetic words spoken in the Old Testament were fulfilled throughout history of the Israelite nation, in Jesus' first coming, and so on. And yet, they also have fulfillment in our life here today and on a wider scale and have a tendency to reach over and reach across time to impact our life. And so the first of these cups we see was given the name Kiddush. Its significance was sanctification. Okay? Sanctification, to be set apart. That's what sanctification means, to be set apart, to be brought out. The Old Testament reference comes from Exodus 6, where God made a promise. He spoke prophetic words. To the Israelite nation, he says, I will bring you out from under the burden. In the New Testament, we see it fulfilled in 1 Corinthians 6.11, where it says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God has brought us out from under the burden. You see, the command to paint the blood on the doorposts and on the frame around the doors was to set that household apart so that when the angel of death was, was going over every house in Egypt that night, it could determine who was of God and who was, of not, who was not. And my friends... This is where it gets personal for us. This is where we need to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our own life. Because if we don't, then what spares us from the judgment and the wrath of God that is to come? Now again, you might want to get all mushy and lovey-dovey and think, well, God won't do that to me. Well, God doesn't want to do that, but to be a just God, He's got to pronounce judgment upon sin. To exact justice against the enemy, we actually have to be set apart from the enemy. 
And so the challenge, like I said, gets personal right here. In that if we haven't applied the blood of Jesus to our hearts, then my friends, I, I just say to you, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Because no amount of goodness, no amount of good works, no amount of knowledge of the Bible will save you. It was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that saved the Israelites from the Passover curse. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ personally applied to your own life that will save you from the wrath of God. I can't make it any clearer. We can't justify it any other way. There is no loophole in this. It needs to be done in your life. The second cup, Makot. Its significance was deliverance and judgment, of which God said in Exodus 6, 6, once again, I will deliver you from slavery. So not only did he make that promise to the Israelite nation, he made that promise to us. Where in 2 Corinthians 1.10 he says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. You see, once, once the blood is painted around the door, we are delivered from such a deadly peril. We are delivered. The blood of the Lamb delivered the Israelites from judgment. The blood of Jesus does the same for us. Amen. The third cup, Hagulah, redemption, redemption. I will redeem you, God said to the Israelites. I will buy you back with a price. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through what? His blood. I have redemption through, say it, his blood, the forgiveness of sin. You see, in Luke 22, 17, and in Luke 22, 20, it says, Jesus, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and again, again he gave thanks. That cup, was the third cup. The third cup. He took the cup after supper and he gave thanks. It was in direct reference to Jeremiah 31, 32, where he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt a new covenant what was Jesus words this cup is a cup of the new covenant this is my blood which is shed for you and then he goes on to say 
I will not drink of this cup until what God has promised has come to fulfillment. So Jesus was saying, I'm drinking this third one and then that's it. That's it. I'm not going to drink of it again until the day of fulfillment for everything God has promised. Which leads us to the fourth one, which is called Hallel. It means the praise or restoration. You see, traditionally there was four cups drunk on the Passover meal. But Jesus refused to drink the fourth one. Because he said, this one is, I will fulfill in the future. It says, I will take you to be my people in Exodus 6, verse 7. And in Revelation 21, 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Praise the Lord. Let's read that scripture again. Then he took the cup, the third one, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Ah, oh, the symbolism is so, so rich in this. When we stop and take notice, Jesus is saying, this redemption cup is about to be fulfilled. This is the one that is going to be poured out for you. He was talking about his crucifixion. And he says, there is one more cup, but we're not going to drink that cup until God's kingdom comes. And we will drink it anew. Praise the Lord. Praise God. You know, it's obvious when we take these elements of the Passover feast to see that it was pointing to Jesus' death. The Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Not only did the timing of Jesus' death coincide with that of the Passover Lamb, the spiritual significance which was prophetically outlined in the Old Testament came to pass with the events surrounding his arrest, his trial and the, his crucifixion. As with the first Passover, each household had to personally apply the blood to their house. And my friends, I'll say it once again. We need to personally apply the blood of the Lamb to our life. This is not a physical blood. This is not blood that we see with our eyes or hold in our hands or keeping a container. There is no literal sacrifice that we perform, but we take hold of that sacrifice of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have to personally come before Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Apply the blood in a spiritual sense to our life. Without it, the consequences of the impending judgment will be just as real as it was for the Egyptians 
all that time ago and resulted in death. We're going to take some time now to reflect upon this. We're going to think about what this means for us. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to just come and challenge us in this. The music is haunting, I know. I wanted it to be somber because this is as real as it gets. Just a little bit lower. Thanks, Tommy. Let's take a moment. Let's close our eyes. Let's forget about everything that is around us. The first question I want you to answer is, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Have you applied the blood of the Lamb to your life? This is where faith gets personal. It's not about what your parents did for you. It's not about, Lord, I've gone to church all my life. That's not the question. The question is, is Jesus Lord of my life? And if you don't believe you've ever made that commitment, today is a great opportunity. And if you want to make that commitment to Jesus and say, Lord, I want my heart to be washed afresh in your blood, then I'll just get you to stand where you are right now. Just take that step of faith and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. And that step of faith, that standing, just signifies the painting of the blood over your life. Heavenly Father, I give you honour and praise. I give you thanks. Lord, we thank you that everything that was required of the Passover lamb was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that all that was required in payment for sin was laid upon Jesus, our perfect sacrifice. So, Lord, we just come before you right now and we thank you. We thank you that we are saved from judgment. We thank you, Lord, each one of us, that this is something you've done for us. So, Lord, praise you. Praise you. Praise you. In God's economy, he requires perfection. As James was sharing this morning, who can meet up to that standard?
I can't. I dare say you can't either. But there is one who did. And his name is Jesus. So let him be Lord of your life today. Let him be your saviour. Let him wash you afresh, even this morning. Let's pray. Lord, what can we say? Thank you just doesn't seem enough, but that's all that we have. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for suffering. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for laying down your life so that we might live. We celebrate that in our life. We place our faith in that. And we give you glory for all that you do through that in our life. So, Lord, let us go afresh this morning with a renewed faith in the blood of the Lamb, a renewed enthusiasm to make our faith real in our own life. Setting all things aside, let us take hold of the one truth. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. My friends, I hope that has renewed that enthusiasm in you and just, you know, given us a sense of freshness in what Jesus has done for us. Again, you know, through our studies in your, in your grow groups, you're going to look at that in greater detail throughout the week. So if you're not part of a grow group, you know, get to one through the week. See Pastor Steve. He'll put you in, in touch with someone. And so God bless. Um, have a great week. Enjoy all that God's got for you. And uh, share your faith with someone. Amen? Amen. Praise God.